Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a guy that's dancing to the tension of a world on edge. Here is the captain. Dancing on my tippy toes. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are still slow sipping on some blarg from the brilliant brewers at Tactical Brewing Company in collaboration with Point Yabel Brewing. Blarg is a delicious double imperial stout, and like most, it's loaded with flavor and alcohol. ABV, 13%, so make sure you drink this one at home in your own garage. Garage grade four and a half bottle caps out of five. And let's give some praise to our friends that helped us out filling up the fridge this week. Cheers to Ashley in Consol, North Dakota. And a big we like to jib to Mandy in Winnipeg. And last but certainly not least, we have Josh from the great city of Flushing, Michigan. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and clicked on the donate button. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run. We have some hoodies for sale. It's hoodie season. And also, if you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, check out our bonus show called Off the Record. You can do so on our website at truecrimegarage.com. And that is enough of the BS Neos. And I'll tell you what, you don't want to snooze on those hoodies because they're flying off the shelf. So check mm-hmm. them out at truecrimegarage.com. All right, kiddos, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Oh, I see. trial of Kenneth McDuff, who is charged with committing three murders in 1966 in Texas. We have two separate trials here, Captain, because obviously Roy Green is going to be the state's star witness against Kenneth McDuff at McDuff's trial. And at that trial, Green takes the stand. And McDuff took the stand as well. Now, when Green is on the stand, his voice at times... He's barely audible. You know, he's very quiet, seems very timid, very shy, very scared. But he tells the courtroom how Kenneth McDuff had shot the two teenage boys and then raped and killed Edna Sullivan. Green admitted that he, too, participated in the crimes committed that night, but he told the jury that he feared for his life, and he feared that McDuff would kill him, too, if he did not follow McDuff's orders. When Kenneth McDuff took the witness stand, he denied any knowledge of all at all of the killings and suggested that Roy Green acted alone and committed the crimes on his own after borrowing Kenneth's 
car and that Roy Green was simply trying to frame McDuff for these crimes. Well, and you got to remember, this is what Green was telling him. McDuff told him to do deny everything. Don't talk. Don't, Don't talk. Even if they start to beat on you, it'll be worse in prison than whatever the cops will do to you. Present in the courtroom each day. So this trial really only lasted about a week. And in my opinion, I'm surprised it lasted that long because it was, it looks to me like a pretty open and shut case. Now, mind you, in 66, they didn't have the technology that we have today. One of the things that was a bit of a delay in this trial that really kind of drug it out a lot longer than it needed to be was some of the, and I want to be clear here, that when I say theatrics, I'm talking about theatrics on behalf of the defense and people for the defendant. So a couple things that happened was Kenneth McDuff's attorney, his, we already talked about what McDuff's defense would be, that, that he wasn't a part of it. He was, it was all a lie that the real killer took his car and his gun and committed these crimes. He's trying to frame him. McDuff's attorney on multiple occasions tried to push for a mistrial, tried to get the judge to agree to a mistrial. I, I think when I observe it here today, it looks to me like the defense attorney understood what they were up against, that it was a pretty open and shut case against his client. And so I think that he, really kind of threw his hands up in the air and said, what the hell do you do here? All right, I'll just I'll just attempt to get a mistrial. I will attempt multiple times to get a mistrial. On one of those occasions, it was because Edna Sullivan's parents had to be removed from the courtroom. They were so upset and, and so distraught, they, they physically broke down right there in the courtroom and had to be removed. And that's when the defense attorney comes up and says, you know, judge, the, we got to declare this a mistrial because the jury can't forget that. You can tell them to erase that from their memories and to not take that those acts into their consideration, but there's no way that they can't. Now, in true form, true to her form, present in the courtroom each day of this trial, of McDuff's trial, is his mother, Addie. Remember, she thinks her son is a quote, perfect little angel. Yeah. And she vouched for her son, telling reporters that Kenneth McDuff had an alibi for the time of the murders. She says that Kenneth was on a date with a young woman from his church saying, quote, I think she's studying to be a missionary. Okay. So, but we can't find this individual. No, we can't find this individual because the mom and Kenneth refused to reveal this girl's name that he's supposedly on a date with because she's studying to be a missionary. And if he were to say that she was out on a date, right. Then that would ruin her reputation and that she would be kicked out of the church or not be able to go on to study, to be a missionary, something like that. So, so I mean, think about this. He's basically saying that, Hey green, I let him borrow my vehicle. I let him borrow my gun. And then he was able to control all three victims by himself and move vehicles, two vehicles at a time. He was basically able to walk on freaking water. And I had no, I had no knowledge of this. Well, and his mother just drives me freaking nuts here because the way that she stands up for Kenneth, and this is, again, this is not the first time. This is what's been going on his entire life. And if you want to... You know, it's easy to fault the family of these types of monsters and point out where they went wrong as well. But with McDuff's mom, she's constantly getting him out of trouble and sticking up for him and vouching for him, even when he does the worst of the worst here. You know, she's quoted in the paper saying he's he's too good for his own good. Yeah, I don't think so. He's too good for his own good. He's too good for his own good. She says, look, the reporters say, but, you know, your son won't reveal the name of this person who is his alibi. He is on trial for three homicides. He is going to be executed by the state of Texas via electric chair if he's convicted, if he's if he's found guilty in this case. And yet he won't give up the name of his alibi. What say you, Mrs. McDuff? 
And she says, well, if he's willing to risk death in the electric chair to spare the girl's reputation, I guess that's his business. No, the truth is they couldn't find the girl if they named her. And if they did find this person, they would not, this person would not back up the story of this horrible monster because the truth of the matter, and we all know it was he was there the night he was responsible for this triple homicide. Not only responsible, I believe he was the driving force behind all of those crimes that were committed that night. And then for his mother to stand up for him at court in November of 1966, to me is just another great example of either stupid or liar. Yeah, I would go with uh, both. So, of course, we have Kenneth McDuff, who is found guilty, and he is sentenced to die by the state of Texas. And he was scheduled to be executed in the electric chair. And in fact, he comes awfully close, at least twice, actually walking to the chair and gets a last minute stay of execution in both situations. In fact, he was scheduled, I believe he was scheduled to die within just a couple of years of the conviction. You know, nowadays we know that people land on death row and they can be there for 15, 18, 25, 30 years. Sometimes they're never executed at all. He was supposed to be executed. They had set the date. He comes close several times, but they never end up executing Kenneth McDuff. In fact, what ends up happening is very much the opposite. Roy Green ends up getting 25 years. His, that is his sentence in the case. McDuff gets the death penalty, and then later McDuff's sentence was commuted to life in prison. This is after the United States threw out the death penalty in 1972. So he commits these murders in 66. Six years later, what he's sentenced to is no longer even an option. So it's now commuted to a life sentence. Yeah, I feel like he should have got three life sentences, but then it's even going to get worse. So check this out. Well, and then we have an issue here in the state of Texas that goes beyond getting rid of the death penalty. They have overcrowding in the prison population in Texas throughout the entire state. And this is an ongoing problem. And so what they are forced to do with the overcrowding problem is to increase their parole considerations of their inmates. And this is handed down by the, by order of the governor. So before long, they are ordered to parole 750 of the lowest risk inmates a week, right? 750 of the lowest risk inmates a week. Now think about that for a second. If you have the 750, the 750 most low risk of offending again, criminals that you're releasing, well, then that means that the following week, you're releasing 750 more and they are now considered the most low risk. However, they were a higher risk than the 750 that you released the week before. Right. And that trend continues week after week after week after week until you get to somebody like Kenneth McDuff, who has killed three people. Again, should be serving a life sentence. No possibility of parole, no matter what, no matter how crowded these prisons are individuals like this should not be getting out of prison in the end the state of texas over the course of a, a long period of time they end up releasing over 60,000 inmates they are eventually forced to release somebody like kenneth mcduff i shouldn't say forced he has to go before a parole board but by the time he goes before the parole board, they're pretty much rubber stamping these things through. They're clearing these guys rather quickly. And his crimes are, are certainly significantly more horrific than a lot of the other people that the parole board would look at and that they would examine their case file and review their prison history. Right. 
But the problem, one thing that comes into the favor of somebody like Kenneth McDuff is by the time they get to him, you know, they don't start releasing people, even though that they commuted his sentence in 1972, it was still believed in 1972 that he would spend the rest of his life in prison. We're talking about years and years later. It wasn't until I believe the the mid eighties or late eighties that they started releasing the inmates and rubber stamping these paroles. But by the time they get to somebody like Kenneth McDuff, he's been in their prison system for a long period of time. He was sent there in 1966. He won't be released until December of 1990. So it's a considerable amount of time. And what he has on his, to his advantage is that he's now older. And for whatever reason, they have believed that he has been rehabilitated and that he will not be much of a threat when he's released. Well, because he also behaved himself pretty well when he was in incarceration. He broke a lot of the rules, but he didn't get caught for a lot of things. Um, It's believed that he was paying off some of the guards to sneak him drugs over the years. He had a pretty healthy drug habit, especially once he got out of prison in 1990. But here's an interesting quote. Okay. There, there were people that came out of the woodwork when Kenneth McDuff was released to try to tell everybody, look, we're going to have a big problem here. This is, this is going to be a big problem letting this guy out. So, This is a quote from Bill Brand. He's the father of one of Kenneth McDuff's victims, Robert Brand, from 1966. And when he was released, when McDuff was released, Bill Brand said, quote, he was out on parole when McDuff killed our kids. He got three death sentences, and now he's out on parole again. They are going to have blood on their hands, those people who turned him loose. Very good point that he brings up there. Kenneth McDuff was out on parole at the time that he killed the three kids. Yeah, I mean, it makes zero sense to me that anybody that would be originally sentenced to death by the state would be released is absolutely ridiculous. And I get the idea that, okay, okay, maybe he's a model prisoner, but like you said, just a prisoner that didn't get caught. But records show he's a model prisoner we're going to let him out but again this is a tr- this is a triple homicide where in fact then he went on and lied about it. it wasn't like that he came forward and confessed and turned himself in didn't show any sign of remorse i mean hell he was lying through his teeth saying i was even there so for them to release a monster like that that's it's the most one of the most irresponsible things I've ever heard of our prison system doing. Well, and keep in mind though, it's state by state when we talk about the prison system. So this is straight up the Texas prison system doing this. And according to one of my favorite publications, Texas monthly, the man who arrested Kenneth McDuff after the triple homicide, Sheriff Paplin on the day that McDuff was released, he shared his opinion Sheriff Papalini says that he said, quote, I don't know if it'll be next week or next month or next year. This is him talking to fellow officers. But one of these days, dead girls are going to start turning up. And when that happens, the man you need to look for is Kenneth McDuff. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This is this is incredible stuff here that people are saying these are almost premonitions of of letting this evil, this kind of evil back out on the streets. And you have the sheriff who arrested him saying one of these days, dead girls are going to start turning up. And when that happens, the man we need to look for is Kenneth McDuff. Well, think about that. This guy was sentenced to death. McDuff was sentenced to death. And now by releasing him, you're sentencing innocent women to death. Within days of Kenneth McDuff, being paroled, released on parole, the naked body of a woman did indeed turn up. And this was 31-year-old Serafia Parker. She had been found to have been beaten, strangled, and dumped in a field near Temple, Texas. According to records, Kenneth McDuff's 
parole officer was based in Temple. Now, he's never been connected 100% to that homicide. That's still an open homicide to this day, but given the location and given the proximity, both in location to where his parole officer was and the time that he gets out of prison, you put two and two together here and he looks like a very good suspect for Seraphia Parker's murder. We do get lucky here for a little bit, Captain. Uh, briefly, McDuff is returned to prison. This is after he threatened a youth in uh, Rosebud. It sounds like it, we have this grown man here who was almost in like some kind of physical altercation with a boy. I don't know the details of the story, but it's enough for him to have violated his parole. He's sent back to prison. So once again, the state of Texas gets the opportunity to keep this guy jailed forever. However, that's not that's not to be, and he ends up getting out once again. Then in 1991, Kenneth McDuff enrolled at Texas State Technical College in Waco, Texas. And soon after that, we have Central Texas women sex workers. They begin to disappear. There's one in particular of Valencia Joshua, age 22, was last seen alive February 24th, 1991. And we have witnesses say that she was on campus looking for Kenneth McDuff, had asked for Kenneth McDuff or where people, uh, where she could find him. And then later she disappears. Her naked body is later discovered in a shallow grave behind that same college, behind that same technical college. Well, so much more to get to, and we will get to that after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. 
and True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Colonel. Let's get back into it. Back in early 1991, Kenneth McDuff is back out on the streets again, and this is when he enrolled at Texas State Technical College in Waco, Texas. While he was in prison, he actually completed his high school degree and attended, I believe, like achieved 45 hours toward college credits while he was in prison. And so he's going to pick up and try to go to the school here. But again, we see a reoccurring theme with Kenneth McDuff. As soon as he moves to an area, as soon as we know that he is in an area, well, then women start to disappear. And in fact, we get a young woman, Valencia Joshua, age 22. She is seen for the last time alive, February 24th, 1991. 
And we have multiple witnesses who say that they saw her on the Texas State Technical College campus on that day, and she was asking for Kenneth McDuff. If she, in fact, found him, then this is what likely led to her death, in my opinion. Now, she's missing for a period of time, but later her naked, decomposed body was discovered in a shallow grave in the woods, and this area is located directly behind Texas State Technical College. This will bring us to later in the year in 1991. In fact, around the, around the Christmas holiday of 1991, when a young woman named Colleen Reed disappeared from an Austin, Texas car wash. Witnesses reported hearing a woman scream that night and seeing two men speeding away in either a yellow or tan Thunderbird. We know that McDuff is involved, so it's going to be a horrific scene, but we have a really good news report on this crime. Yeah, Captain, you're exactly spot on there. And I wanted to make sure that we read this article that came out shortly after Colleen Reed disappeared. Because it's just, it's full of doom and gloom. There's no hope, as you will hear in this article. And this article is just two days after she went missing. So the headline here from the Austin American Statesman newspaper out of Austin, Texas, says, Police think woman was abducted while she washed her car. And the reporter here is Kimberly Garcia, who writes, Police continue their search for a missing West Lake Hills woman who they believe was abducted from a central Austin car wash. Colleen Reed, age 28, was abducted at 9.15 p.m. Sunday, possibly by two men while washing her car. And then it gives the address for the car wash. And this is according to the Austin Police Department's assault unit, Sergeant Don Martin. Here's one thing that I want to point out. I'm going to jump in as we go through this article here. When you have a report from police that is saying this person was abducted at 9.15 p.m., that means it's beyond question by that time. It's beyond question if this person is missing or if they were abducted. Police are telling you this woman was abducted and, oh yeah, not just abducted, we have the time stamp of when she was abducted and it was at 9 15 PM. Right. So the officer goes on to tell the reporter quote, I don't feel good about this at all. Generally speaking, you kidnap someone to take their car money or to sexually assault them. Reed's purse was in her car, which was found covered with soap suds at the car wash after her disappearance. The vehicle's door was open, suggesting Reed may have sensed danger and tried to return to her car, Martin said. Four witnesses, one, two, three, four witnesses around the corner from the car wash told police that they saw two white or Hispanic men in their 30s with dark skin and hair drive the wrong way on Powell Street before the abduction. The passenger may have had a beard. Witnesses told police they heard a scream followed by the slamming of two car doors. Well, I think what the eyewitnesses are hearing is her fighting for her life. And then they saw the same men drive the wrong way down 5th Street. Again, all according to the officer. The suspects lacked a familiarity with the street directions that makes police think that the men did not know Reed or did not know the area. The men were driving a late 1980s model two-door tan car with rounded taillights and a low rear end. Quote, it appears at this time that this is going to be a genuine random kidnapping. End quote. That's according to the assault unit officer, Sergeant Martin. He goes on to say, there's no doubt in my mind that she went unwillingly. Police fears shocked Reed's friends and coworkers. They say this is real weird because she's street smart, said her friend Heather Bailey. You can be as street smart as you want to be. If somebody has a weapon, they can control you. And her friend goes on to describe Reed and saying that not only was she street smart, but she 
was in the Army Reserve, so she's been trained to defend herself. The newspaper article points out that Colleen Reed is five feet, three inches tall, weighs 115 pounds, was a certified public accountant at the time. She's really interesting to me here, Captain. She was uh, actually a uh, Louisiana native. And from my understanding, she graduated high school early and started attending college at the young age of 16. So a very bright individual that we are talking about. And then the police go on to describe her further in this article, because of course they are still looking for her at this time. And they say that Reed has shoulder length, dark hair and brown eyes. When she was abducted, she is believed to have been wearing gold frame wire glasses, a pink and ivory plaid hip length jacket and an ivory wool scarf. And they said that Reed, our victim, appeared to be running errands on that Sunday night. And they based this off of receipts that were found in her car that revealed that she had deposited some money in a cash machine and bought food before going to the car wash to wash her car. And then we believe her to have been abducted from that haunting scene at the car wash. And so we have a lot of eyewitnesses claiming that they saw two men. Is it a similar situation with like McDuff and green where McDuff is going to be the leader of this crime? Well, it's it again, it it's similar in, in the way that it depends on who you talk to, right? Because McDuff in the first set of murders says that he's innocent and Roy green says otherwise. Well, in this situation, it is similar that we end up getting a confession from an accomplice, but this accomplice doesn't come forward in the way that Roy Green did. This accomplice comes forward because he's figured out by police, he's picked up by police, and eventually he caves in with his story. What's weird here, again, you know, we talked about the Texas Tower shooting and Charles Whitman, but... Kenneth McDuff has always been connected to the yogurt shop murders as well. So the abduction of Colleen Reed takes place in the same city in the same month as the yogurt shop quadruple homicide. Yeah. And so he's always been connected to that. He's been thought of by some to possibly be a suspect. Another way that he's connected is that, the great show America's Most Wanted featured a segment on the yogurt shop murders. This was in March of 1992. They were still trying to figure out who had committed that crime. They were still trying to figure out who had abducted Colleen Reed in March of 1992. So there was a segment about her case on that same episode. Well, this guy definitely has the ability to commit a horrible crime like the yogurt shop murders. What we have here too is that segment ran in March of 1992. That same month, Melissa Northrup, who was pregnant with her third child at the time, she vanishes from a Waco convenience store where she was working. So she's the only attendant that night. She vanishes. Kenneth McDuff's beige Thunderbird broke down and was discovered one block from the Waco convenience store where this woman vanished from. It took a little over 50 days later that fishermen found Melissa's body floating in a gravel pit in Dallas County. This is 90 miles north of Waco. From my understanding, Captain, his car breaks down and it looks like to me he goes to this convenience store abducts Melissa, abducts Melissa Northrup and takes her car and then gets out of Dodge with her in tow. Right. This car situation is going to make Kenneth McDuff the target of a nationwide manhunt. Again, to some people, to the people that were closest to the triple homicide case, the law enforcement officers and the victims' families, this is not a surprise to them. Kenneth McDuff out abducting, killing women, not a surprise to them. You know, 
the three scariest words that I can imagine hearing together or seeing or reading together, paroled serial killer, paroled serial killer. And this man, he was a, he was a killer when he was apprehended and, and put into prison and he left prison a killer again and he continued to kill after he was released. Now, this is where our story really starts to ramp up again. You had asked, did the Colleen Reed abduction, did it go the same way as the triple homicide did back in 66? I said in a lot of ways it was similar because, yes, you end up having an accomplice who breaks down and confesses to being a part of the crimes and says that Kenneth McDuff was the person that was in control of the crime. Colleen Reed, her abduction is, I mean, is it's something that sounds like it's straight out of a horror flick. Hank Worley is the man who breaks down. What happens is the police get some kind of idea that Kenneth McDuff was in the area in the Austin city the day that Colleen Reed was abducted and killed. And they figure out that he had been hanging out with this Hank Worley guy. They pick up Hank Worley and after a pretty lengthy session with him, he ends up confessing and he says that he and McDuff abducted Colleen Reed. Worley was 34 years old at the time. He says that he thought or was told by McDuff, keep in mind, neither man is from the area. And that makes sense when we read that article, the newspaper article, when they kept turning down and going the wrong way on, on more than one wrong one way street. Right. And that's what the police thought all along that the, the abductors were from not from that area and likely didn't even know the victim. Worley's story backs that up. He says that he was told by McDuff that they were going to Austin, Texas that night so that they could score some drugs, that they were going to meet up with somebody. And the details are a little sketchy on that, but he says that they, they went there from his knowledge to score drugs. And at some point they're now in Austin, they're driving around and McDuff tells him, I'm going to take a girl tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to find somebody and I'm going to take them. Right. And he said, it's a short period of time after that, that they spotted Colleen Reed, who was alone at the car wash. And according to Worley's story, McDuff gets out of the vehicle. And we gave you a physical description of Colleen Reed. We gave you a physical description of Kenneth McDuff. He's 13 inches taller. Yeah, that's a big boy. Than Colleen Reed. And according to Worley, McDuff walks very quickly up to her, doesn't say a word, and he grabs her by the throat and lifts her up off of the ground. She's kicking her legs, and Worley said that he could see her feet, not even her toes, would touch the ground. And McDuff just picked her up, walked her over to the vehicle, and forced her into the back seat of the car, and then off the three of them went into the night. And very hauntingly, and just, again, just like a horror flick, according to Worley, right before McDuff grabs her, Reed is saying, please, not me, please, not me. And he throws her into the back of that car, and that's the last time anybody saw Colleen Reed alive. So he breaks down, tells them this story. Now, he also tells them that, yes, he was involved in the abduction. Yes, he was involved in some assaults on Reed. And McDuff insisted on torturing her. And to the point that at one point, the victim begs Alva Hank Worley to, to kill her. So she doesn't have to go through any more pain and suffering. Worley says that he 
while he did commit these crimes and was a participant in some of these crimes, he was not an actual participant in the, the murder of Colleen Reed as McDuff dropped him off and asked Worley for a knife. And he said, Hey, I, this, you know, this is where I'm going to go. And then he used these words. I'm going to use her up. Well, that's because McDuff is a piece of shit. So Worley doesn't know exactly what happened after that, but it, you know, it doesn't take much to figure out that, that McDuff killed Colleen Reed that night, a short time after dropping off Worley. It's almost like McDuff has part of the fantasy is to have somebody involved with him as he's committing these horrible crimes. It's very strange. Yes, I agree with you, but there seems to be a lot of crimes that he committed on his own. I wondered that and have been thinking a lot about that as well. And I feel like with McDuff that it's more of a case of whenever the mood should strike him, he doesn't care if somebody's with him or not. When he decides that he's going to go for it, he goes for it because we read off the speculation. The speculation is that he could have nine victims, 14 victims or more. That goes beyond the four victims that he killed with another person present. And you're right, Captain. I don't know. Either it's part of his sick, twisted fantasies, or it's just when, whenever the urge takes him over that he's going to do this no matter what. And what, what is clear though, it could be both, but what is clear to me is he seems to believe, and the record might show this to be the case as well. It seems to me like once he's made up his mind that he's going to abduct and kill, he doesn't think that there's anything that can stop him. Well, and we don't know with the other victims if there was somebody that was with him or not, because there could have been somebody that's just never come forward. Well, and you know what's weird too, and I don't want to get too mystical here. I don't want to get too spiritual on everybody, but in a lot of ways, you wonder you wonder both sides of the coin. At least I do. One, had McDuff been by himself that night, would he have on either of these nights, 66 or 1991? would he have committed these horrible crimes? Personally, I believe he would have, whether he was had an accomplice or, or, or not. I agree. So then the flip side of that coin is, in some way, was it a godsend that he had help back in 66, and that was our opportunity to lock up this evil forever, to snuff it out forever, Right. and we failed. Big mistake. And it's only because of... Well, I shouldn't say it's only because of, because it sounds to me like police were pretty hot on the trail of Kenneth McDuff in 1992, right? even before Hank Worley broke down, but it doesn't seem like they had connected McDuff to the Reed abduction and murder 100%. And then once they had Worley, they, they have what is now some of their evidence to arrest this guy and, and, God bless America's most wanted that great program because it was their coverage of Kenneth McDuff, their coverage of Colleen Reed's case that ultimately led to Kenneth McDuff being arrested. So he had actually hightailed it out of Texas. It was getting too hot there for him. One, he's racking up too many bodies on his trail. And two, police are now on his trail. So at some point, he leaves Texas and he goes to, where were we just a, a week or so ago, Captain? Too hot in the hot tub. Kansas City, Missouri. Old Kansas City, here we come. Yes, he takes, he, he takes on a fake name and identity in Kansas City, and he's working for the trash collecting company there. And one of his co-workers saw the segment of America's Most Wanted, sees Kenneth McDuff on there, calls America's Most Wanted and says, I'm pretty sure the guy I'm working with is actually Kenneth McDuff. And we said before, you look up a picture of this guy, there's no mistaking him. He's, he, he's easily recognizable. 
He has devil eyes and a big old beak. So on May 4th, 1992 in Kansas City, Missouri, Kenneth McDuff is arrested. Thank you to the America's Most Wanted program and that individual who called in with that hot tip that led police and authorities to Kenneth McDuff. He ultimately will go and face trial two more times. So he's going to be charged with the abduction and murder of Colleen Reed, which is a difficult case for the state of Texas because when he's sent to trial, they don't have her body. What they do have is Hank Worley, state star witness, to explain and tell the judge and the jury what Kenneth McDuff did and what he assisted Kenneth McDuff in that night. McDuff will also face a trial in the Northrop case. This man is the only man, to my knowledge, that has been sentenced to death by three different counties, three different juries in the state of Texas. He's the only person in the history of the state of Texas to have two death row inmate numbers. Yeah, piece of shit number one and piece of shit number two. And of course, McDuff stands by his original statements from 1966, and he continues to make similar statements in 1992. He simply says he wasn't with Worley and that Roy Green is a liar. That's his That's his short statement to to the general public even after he is tried and convicted three times for homicides. And he's been convicted of five homicides in total. And in an interview, while he is on death row, he says the same thing. I wasn't with Worley and Roy Green is a liar. And he goes on to say that uh, the, the statements contradict one another because Hank Worley gave multiple statements to police And the reason why he gave more than one statement to police is because he was telling them what they wanted to hear. And he didn't know the details of that case. He says, I was convicted by the news media. The facts of the case didn't warrant my convictions. And at the time of this interview that I'm referencing here, he still had appeals in both of his cases. And he believed that he would get out on those appeals. Well, he got out before. And the person conducting the interview says, so the news media convicted you. Kenneth McDuff replies, none of the cases independently should have been convictions. The news media accused me of having tie-ins in all of them. Essentially, what he's saying is that you wouldn't get a conviction uh, if, if these cases were just completely separate from one another. Right. You wouldn't be able to convict me if they didn't know these other things that you suspected me of. And so the reporter probes a little bit more and says, so are you saying that you've been convicted in three separate murder cases that you are a suspect in half a dozen more that you've been given three death penalties and that in fact, you're as innocent as the fresh fallen snow to which McDuff replies. No, I'm telling you what the evidence is. There wasn't sufficient evidence in any of these cases for a conviction. What a grade A asshole. Because he's <laughs> you you can hear and see in his words. He doesn't mind being the monster. Big ass. He doesn't mind you believing that he's killed all these people. He doesn't mind that you believe that he's done all these horrible things. But he wants to point out that even if they got the right guy, the evidence isn't there. There's not sufficient evidence to convict me. I am the monster, but I'm better than your system. I'm better than your law enforcement. They didn't do their jobs. Well, Well, looks like they did. He ended up in the right place in the end. Yeah. A big mistake, you know, by Texas, one that they have owned up to and, Essentially, they get it right in the end. But if it wasn't for Green, one of the things that we learned from Green that's the most important out of all this is McDuff is going to 
commit horrible crimes and do and deny, 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 deny. Never admit to be in there. Never, never admit to anything. And that will always leave some doubt in people's mind. One of the victims, or believed to be a victim of Kenneth McDuff, one of their family members told the newspapers when talking about Kenneth McDuff's release from prison, and then he goes on to kill other people. He says the the victim's family member says they'll never convince me that what they did was right or ethical. The only way he, meaning McDuff, knows how to have a relationship with a woman is to abduct them, rape them, and murder them. She goes on to say that he went to prison a killer, came out a killer, and will kill again if given the opportunity. Quote, they'll try to convince me in a few years that he's 70 years old and will never hurt anybody again. That's bullshit. He'll find a way to rape and murder. None of us will be safe until he is dead. Which I absolutely agree, and that's why he is the Texas monster. So one of those trials, Captain, was in 1992 in Houston, and that was for the abduction and murder of Melissa Northrup. At that trial, we end up with the current sheriff from Falls County. Remember, Falls County Sheriff's Department was the sheriff's department that arrested Kenneth McDuff for the triple homicide back in 1966. So the current day sheriff in 1992 is at the trial and goes on record saying, quote, Kenneth McDuff is absolutely the most vicious and savage individual I know. He has absolutely no conscience, and I think he enjoys killing. Goes on to say, had Kenneth McDuff been executed as scheduled from his conviction in 1966, there's no telling how many lives that would have saved. Then we have some interesting insights from a Dallas psychologist. His name is Fred Labowitz, who, after examining Kenneth McDuff's crimes, says McDuff is a guy that has no soul. He says there is little in the history of criminal science or the study of the criminal mind to account for Kenneth McDuff's sadistic conduct. It goes on to say that this guy goes beyond the study of human behavior. The good doctor goes on to say, in some people, we can find behavior in their childhood. An absent father, a drunken mother, an abusive home. But it appears there was none of these. It seems his incredible lust for evil appeared spontaneously and full-blown. No matter how thorough the studies of the Ted Bundys and Charles Mansons of the world, none of this can prepare us for an encounter with Kenneth McDuff. I don't think we'll ever know how many victims in total he actually had. It's hard to say, and I agree with a lot of these comments and a lot of these quotes here that we're citing today because I agree. I think that if he's out there, if he's a free man, if given the opportunity, he would kill and kill again. And unfortunately, he was rather efficient at doing it. And it's very difficult to say how many victims that we have. We do know that later in life, as it got closer to his execution date, now keep in mind, Texas is not going to get this wrong twice. And they are going to make sure that they execute this monster. And as they're getting closer to his execution date, he's a rather physically sick individual by this time. He has, I believe, hepatitis C and cirrhosis. Uh, uh, He is having considerable liver problems at this point in his life. He did leave the prison on at least one occasion. I believe it was maybe two or three occasions and led them to the remains of some of his victims. Now he appeared to be trying to extort money from law enforcement prior to leaving the prison and showing them where the remains were, because he was requesting $700 
be placed into his personal inmate account. And once the check cleared, he would give them a body. Those were his words. Right. Um, there's no indication that anybody paid him a dime. He may have just simply done this because he was sick. He was getting close to his execution date, may have bought him a couple of extra days. He may have just wanted the field trip, if you will, out of prison one last time for a day or two. He did ultimately lead them to Colleen Reed's remains. So he can say as much as he wanted back then that Warley made up the story. I wasn't with Warley. Well, you were able to lead them to Colleen Reed's remains. And Warley's part of the story was he committed some of these crimes with you, but was not with you when you killed her. So it's obvious to me that he's guilty of a lot of these crimes that he's suspected of. He's guilty of every crime that he was convicted of. And as you said, Captain, it's difficult to say how many people he killed. It's also difficult to say how many lives would have been spared had he been locked up and remained locked up after his crimes in 1966. Yeah, an absolute monster. Good title for this Texas monster. It's also interesting to hear about when they're on death row. And Captain, you know me. I try to be a positive guy. I try to be a positive thinker. And I want to be a positive person for everybody else out there. But there are occasions when one celebrates snuffing out of evil. We talked about that with Joseph Duncan when he passed away. There was a little garage party that occurred that day. We didn't have the garage back in 1998, but on November 17th in 1998, Texas state executed Kenneth Allen McDuff at the age of 52 at their Huntsville unit in Huntsville, Texas. He was pronounced dead at 6:26 PM central time after receiving a lethal injection. Before he was injected, McDuff was offered the opportunity, which many of his victims were not offered, the opportunity to have a last meal, a request for a last meal, at which he requested two T-bone steaks, Coca-Colas with all the fixins. Um, it's been stated that the prison chef prepared hamburger and shaped it into what a steak would be would look like and that's what they served him instead of the two t-bone steaks that he requested i've seen other reports that state that he that he received exactly what he requested but the other opportunity that he was afforded was to give a final statement or some last words to which mcduff said quote i'm ready to be released release me after the execution one of Kenneth McDuff's victim's mothers said, I'm glad this is over. My children are going to rest in peace now, and he's going where he ought to go. I know where he's released to. I want to thank you so much for joining us here in the garage. You are our buddies. You are our pals. You join us here every week, and we love you for that. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful, beautiful listeners? We do, and this is actually a captain-inspired recommended reading because you mentioned this case. You brought it up a couple weeks ago here on our big show, and it reminded me of this fantastic book. And it's called Death at the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles by Dale Perlman. Built during Los Angeles's rapid growth in the roaring 20s, this Cecil Hotel was briefly a glimmering downtown landmark until it became one of the most infamous sites of violence and murder in this country. Check out this great book, Death at the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles. You can find that great title and many more recommendations on our recommended page at truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter.
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.